Welcome to Historically Haunted, a podcast that takes a look at a historical location that also has a haunted reputation. So come with me as together we enter the strange and creepy world of the unexplained and keep history fun along the way. and welcome to Historically Haunted. My name is Ariel and I wanted to wish you all a happy Halloween. Thank you all so much for joining me today for this special Halloween episode. Today is the end of my four-part Halloween series and while I am sad it is over, I am also super excited for this final episode because I will be covering the hauntings of the Bell Witch. As always, I wanted to thank my Patreons for supporting the show and I wanted to thank you all for the kind comments on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and through my email. I love getting to connect with people who share the same interests in history and the paranormal as I do, and links to my Patreon page and all of my social media handles are down below in the show notes. Before I get started, I wanted to let you know that my neighbors are fixing their roof. We had a huge storm over the last couple of days that brought torrential rain to my area, which was great because it's helping the drought and it knocked down some major wildfires, but apparently my neighbor's roof leaked because they are fixing a huge chunk of their roof. So I can't control that and I really have to record this today. So if you hear hammering in the background or a buzzsaw occasionally, I do apologize, but there's nothing I can do about it. I am going to try to distort the audio so you might not even hear it, but I am letting you know that if you hear random knocks and bangs occasionally, it's not a ghost, it's my neighbors fixing their roof. Since today is Halloween, I wanted to change up my normal formula and just tell you guys a good old-fashioned ghost story. I could not think of any more deserving than America's most famous ghost story, The Hauntings of the Bell Witch. I had received suggestions for this location a while back from Elise, Leah, and Ivan, and this location was also suggested to me by Morton Haven Farms on Instagram. I'm sorry it took me so long to get to your location suggestion, but I already was planning on saving this location for the Halloween episode, and it is finally here. The story of an evil spirit that haunted John Bell and his family has been passed down for generations with mostly oral accounts. The hauntings of the Bell family became so intense that it is believed a ghost killed John Bell. The case baffled gawkers who came to see if the witch was real, pastors who came to cleanse the house, and even the state of Tennessee who claimed that John Bell's death was caused by a supernatural entity. The story of the Bell Witch has captivated Americans for 200 years with hauntings still experienced on the property today. So settle in, grab a glass of your favorite cider, and light your pumpkins as I tell you the story of the hauntings of the Bell Witch. In 1804, John Bell and his wife Lucy were part of a wagon train that was headed to Red River, Tennessee with 10 other families. John purchased around 300 acres of lands in Adams, Tennessee and quickly became a prosperous farmer. 
Another family that was part of the wagon train was the Batts. Frederick Batts and his wife Kate purchased property and set up their own farm near the Bells. For a few years, both families were prosperous until Frederick Batts was injured in a farming accident and became bedridden. The Batts family began to struggle financially and they were forced to sell off portions of their property and their possessions. John Bell ended up purchasing a big chunk of land from Frederick, but Kate accused John of purchasing the property for way less than it was worth and she claimed that he had taken advantage of their family's misfortune. After a big argument, Kate Batts swore that she would make John Bell and his family pay for what they did. Following this confrontation, John hoped that it would just blow over and go away. However, around the same time of this property purchase, Bell also purchased an enslaved girl from Frederick's brother, Benjamin. At the time of the purchase, Bell felt that the young girl was too little to begin work and left her in the care with her mother for a while. It is unclear exactly when he returned to pick her up, but I'm guessing it was a year or two later. When Bell returned to get her, Benjamin decided that the girl was worth more than what Bell had already paid him. So Benjamin confronted Bell and told him that he had cheated him. There was a heated argument and Bell either ended up selling the girl back to Benjamin for more than the purchase price or if Bell simply left with the girl and refused to pay extra. John left hoping that this drama was over, but the whole Bats family felt that John Bell had extorted money from them once again. The Bats took this as the final straw. And again, because this is mostly oral accounts, I keep finding two different versions of what happens each time. So one of the versions says that Frederick and Kate decided to file a lawsuit against the Bells about the purchase of their property, and they accused Bell of not paying a fair market price for their property. And the other version of the story was that Frederick was the one who filed the lawsuit over the purchase price of his enslaved girl. Either way, this beef between the whole Bats family and the Bells was really bad. The Bats hated the Bells, and after the lawsuit was filed, somehow the Bells were never told about the hearing, so John Bell didn't even show up for the jury to hear his side of the story. And because John wasn't there, the jury sided with the Bats. After this lawsuit, the church decided to have their own meeting to decide whether to kick the Bells out of the church or not. This time John was able to tell his side of the story, but the church agreed with the court's decision and they decided to excommunicate the Bells. Back in this time period, it was devastating to get kicked out of your own church. Even though the church sided with the Bats, all the churchgoers were a little leery of Kate. After Frederick's injury, Kate Bats became the head of the house. This was unheard of back in that time, and churchgoers, along with people in town, started to describe Kate as outspoken, boisterous, controlling, and mean. She did many things that were outside of the norm for women during that time including taking over the family's finances. Many rumors began to spread that Kate was a witch, and any woman that dared do something a man would do was always called a witch, especially during this time, so that's not unheard of. However, because Kate was so harsh, many in the church were afraid of her, and they didn't dare confront her about being a witch. Many in the church believed her husband's injuries was punishment for Kate practicing witchcraft. Not long after John Bell was excommunicated from the church, strange things began to happen on his property. In 1817, Bell was out hunting on his land and claimed to see a strange creature. He described it as having the body of a large dog and the head of a rabbit. It was covered in shaggy black fur. John took a shot at this creature, but as soon as he pulled the trigger, it disappeared. John decided to ignore the strange encounter and not tell his family. However, what was about to come could not be ignored. A few weeks after this odd encounter, Bell's whole family began hearing the sound of rocks hitting the outside of the house. He and his sons would run outside to see who was making the noise, but never found anything or anyone on the property. 
This strange activity quickly escalated. At night, while having dinner, the family began to hear the sound of knocking on the cabin walls mixed with the sound of rocks hitting the walls. At first, John thought it was the Bats family harassing them, but then the activity moved inside. While the family was trying to sleep, they would report the sound of loud thuds on the floorboards, scratching sounds on the walls, followed by more knocking and tapping sounds, even the sound of dragging chains. The Bell's children began to complain of the sound of rats chewing at their bed frames. Every time the family would look for an explanation to these strange sounds, they would find nothing. The bedposts were never damaged either. These strange sounds went on all night long and even became so intense that it began affecting the family's sleep. The family started to suffer from sleep deprivation and became irritable with each other. Regardless, the Bells tried to ignore the sounds. They also wanted to keep this a secret because they didn't want to tarnish the family's name any more than it already was. They dealt with these sounds for over a year, but the activity just kept increasing. Eventually, the bed covers and pillows began being ripped off of all of them while they were asleep. A voice of a feeble old woman singing hymns inside the cabin began to be heard. This voice began to become stronger and more intelligent. It would laugh at the family, carry on conversations, and even note things that were going on in other locations at the same time. The bells finally hit a breaking point after the specter became physical. The first to succumb to these physical attacks was Betsy Bell, their daughter. She began complaining of a specter that was poking and pinching her. Soon, Betsy was being slapped by unseen hands. One night, Betsy woke up to find her hair tied in knots around the bedposts. She was unable to move and she was repeatedly slapped by an unseen force. She began screaming for help and her family rushed to her side. Only after they were able to untie her hair did this physical altercation stop. The family was able to see red welts on her face in the shape of handprints. It didn't take long until her younger brothers began waking up with scratches and hand-shaped welts on their bodies as well. Not long after these physical attacks began, the family started to see strange apparitions inside of the house. Outside was just as weird. The whole family started seeing strange creatures on the property. Even their enslaved servants began to report strange creatures and claim that some of them could even talk. One day, Betsy was walking in a field and she saw an apparition of a girl in a green dress swinging by her hands on a tree branch before disappearing before her eyes. Finally, these strange things became too much and John Bell confided in his friend and neighbor, James Johnston, for help. James and his wife were religious and they agreed to help and come over to spend the night even though at the time they were a little skeptical of the claims. They soon became true believers, however. During the night, their bed covers were ripped off of them and James was personally slapped. He jumped up and demanded who it was in the room. A voice declared, Kate. James immediately encouraged the Bells to seek help from the church. The entity's voice became stronger as time went on. It was heard quoting scripture, singing hymns, and even having intelligent conversations. One claim is that the voice recited two sermons word for word that had been given at the same time on the same day but 13 miles away. Rumors began spreading quickly and people came from miles around hoping to witness paranormal activity. The entity became known as the Bell Witch. Eventually, these rumors reached Andrew Jackson in Nashville, who at the time was a major general in the U.S. Army. The Bell's three older sons had fought under Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans, and he decided to come check out these stories for himself. 
Andrew Jackson took a small group of his men with him and planned to stay a few nights at the Bell Farm. Just as they were reaching the farm, their wagon became stuck in a creek bed. No matter what they did, they could not get the wheels to turn. Then Jackson proclaimed, By the eternal boys, that must be the Bell Witch. Suddenly, a loud female disembodied voice rang out and told him that they could proceed to the farm, but that she would see them later. While the men were setting up their tents in the yard, one of them claimed to be a witch tamer. He then showed the group a gun that he had brought with him and said that he had silver bullets in it. He claimed that silver bullets would kill any evil spirit it came in contact with. After saying this, the man suddenly began to scream that he was being attacked. He yelled out that it felt like he was getting stuck with pins and beaten by invisible hands. He then received a swift kick in the rear that sent him flying. A loud voice rang out stating that Jackson had another fraud in his party and she would identify him by the next morning. After this, the men begged Jackson to let them leave immediately and head back to Nashville. But Jackson wanted to stay to find out who the other fraud was. By morning, people claimed to have seen Jackson and his group in Springfield on their way back to Nashville. No one knows what happened to change Jackson's mind, but he is quoted as saying, I would rather face the whole British Army than spend another night at the Bell House. The hauntings persisted, and the voice continued to express her hatred for John Bell and promised to end his life. The Bells were becoming so desperate that they were asking anyone for help. A family friend named William Porter came to the house to try to help the Bells. One night, William became angry and tried to capture the specter. He threw a blanket over the apparition and tried to throw it in the fireplace, yelling that he was going to burn the witch. The closer he got to the fire, the heavier the blanket got. Eventually, the blanket became so heavy, he couldn't carry it anymore and he dropped it. Preachers also came to help the bells, but no matter how hard they prayed, the activity continued to increase. Even the disembodied voice mocked them for their efforts. After two years of suffering at the hands of the witch, John Bell's health began to decline. He complained of a severe sore throat. He said it felt like a stick was sticking sideways in his throat. John also began to have weird twitching fits of his face, and then he became very weak. Strangely, though, through all of this, the entity treated Lucy Bell differently. She sang hymns to her, brought her fruits and hazelnuts when she was sick and left them on her bed, and didn't physically harm her. John's health continued to decline over the next year until December 20th, 1820, when he was discovered dead in his bed. The family noticed a strong odor coming from John's mouth. After discovering John's body, John Jr. found a vial of an unknown cloudy liquid in the cabinet where John Bell's medicine should have been. He then heard the disembodied voice of Kate proclaim victory, saying, I fixed his medicine last night and gave him a big dose of it. He'll never get out of that bed again. After hearing this, John Jr. angrily threw the vial in the fireplace, which then reportedly exploded a bright blue flame that shot up the chimney. John Bell's death was officially documented as a death caused by a supernatural entity by the state of Tennessee. At John Bell's memorial service, the specter showed up loudly mocking, jeering, laughing, and singing drinking songs. After John's death, the entity's activities dwindled. Most people thought she had left because she had successfully killed John like she kept saying she was going to do. About a year later, Betsy announced her engagement with Joshua Gardner. Joshua and Betsy grew up together and both their families were happy with the arrangement. Everyone except the Bell Witch. One day, while walking on the property, Betsy encountered the same strange apparition of the little girl in the green dress hanging from the tree. The apparition stopped playing and ordered Betsy to break off her engagement with Joshua. 
Fearing the witch's wrath, Betsy broke off the engagement just after Easter in 1821, and Joshua moved away. Soon after, the entity came to Lucy Bell and told her that she was leaving, but she'd be back in seven years. The entity returned in 1828 and visited John Bell Jr. Allegedly, she had deep conversations with him about life, Christianity, and the need for a spiritual reawakening. She also predicted major events, including the Civil War. Other events she predicted never came to be. Luckily for John Bell Jr., she decided not to stick around, and she left three weeks later, promising to return 107 years later in 1935 to visit a direct descendant. This descendant was the great-grandson of John Bell Sr. and the grandson of John Jr. His name was Dr. Charles Bailey Bell, a Nashville neurologist. In 1934, he wrote and published a book about the Bell Witch called The Bell Witch of Tennessee. Whether that Bell Witch showed up in 1935 is debatable. When most people talk about this story today, they talk about the Bell Witch Cave. The only thing is that a big chunk of this story has nothing to do with the cave. The hauntings, the poltergeist activity, the strange apparitions, and the strange animals were experienced either on the property or inside the house. The only other time this cave has been mentioned was when a group of boys from the neighboring farms got together to explore a cave located on John Bell's property. They explored too deep and the cave narrowed. One of the boys got too far and became stuck. He screamed for help and suddenly the group heard a woman's voice shout, I'll get him out. The boy suddenly felt something grab his legs and pull him back to the entrance of the cave. This disembodied voice then sat down the boys and gave them a lesson on how to safely explore a cave. Then she left. The locals figured that this was the doings of the Bell Witch. The Bell Witch is the most famous ghost story in American history, and while we may never know the truth behind the story, some claim that the land is still haunted by the Bell Witch and that her spirit resides inside the cave. Strange paranormal events have been reported on the property to this day. The interesting thing about the story of the Bell Witch is while a lot of this story we know today comes to us from oral storytelling, there are very few written accounts and records of the hauntings. One was in a small book published in 1894 called An Authenticated History of the Bell Witch by Marvin V. Ingram. For his book, Ingram used the diary of John Bell's son, Richard Bell, who was a child at the time of the hauntings. Richard wrote his remembrance of the hauntings 24 years later. Sometime later, Ingram got a hold of Richard's diary and turned it into a book. Skeptics claim that the diary is a fake, but some historians believe the diary is real. The story of the Bell Witch is a scary one, and some people believe that with each retelling of the story, it got more outlandish and further from the truth. Others believe that the whole story is real and think that the Bell Witch is on the property still scaring visitors. Because this story is so old, various theories have sprung up as to what the Bells were dealing with, so it's time to talk theories. Theory number one is that Kate Batts was actually a witch, and after she put a curse on John, she did spells in her home to have her specter attack the Bell family. Many people at the time already feared Kate and thought of her as a witch, so when the specter began calling herself Kate, that was all some people needed as confirmation as to who was behind the family's hauntings and attacks. 
Theory number two is that the culprit behind all the hauntings is actually Betsy Bell. Many poltergeist cases throughout the world have been blamed on teenage girls. Skeptics always try to point out that prior to modern times, women had to follow strict rules and some women could not handle having to fit those social norms. So young teenagers that wanted more in life but were forced to stay the course often acted out. You'll hear that theory the most for the Salem witch trials. A lot of people think the girls were completely faking and that they were making it all up because they weren't allowed to get attention back then. And that was the only way they could get attention at all. And then after the girls started it, mass hysteria took over for the whole town. So skeptics go on to say that faking hauntings was often the only way for young teenage girls to make any kind of entertainment for themselves and get some extra attention. While this is an interesting theory, there are a lot of things that don't add up to it being Betsy being behind it all. Like, for instance, she was very excited to marry her sweetheart Joshua, but she was so scared of the entity that when it told her not to marry the man that she actually loved, she called it all off and was visibly devastated afterwards. So I can't see a young woman being so involved with making up a whole haunting that she would sabotage her own wedding. Also, we have so many eyewitness accounts that saw many strange creatures and witnessed the haunted activity all over the property, even when Betsy wasn't even there. Also, if this story is true, there is so much going on here that it could not have been orchestrated by just one person. And then of course, John's death, it doesn't add up to it being Betsy at all. Theory number three is that the hauntings were faked by Betsy's teacher, Professor Richard R. P. Powell. After receiving his advanced teaching degree in North Carolina, Powell moved to Tennessee in 1815 and soon found a teaching job and became the head schoolmaster of Robertson County. He also settled near the Bell's family farm and became good friends with John and Lucy Bell. From the articles I found, they say that Powell taught many of the Bell children, but he developed strong feelings for Betsy Bell when she was maturing into adulthood. So I know that this is back in the day and back then people would marry their children off at like ages 12 and 13 to older men for security and weird things like that. But to me, that sounds a little bit creepy. And these days, that would be a huge red flag, obviously, especially when Powell was much older than Betsy when he developed these romantic feelings. Powell also started hanging around the family farm on the regular, and he would often compliment Betsy, but she was already going out with Joshua Gardner at this time, and Joshua was much more closer in age to Betsy. According to the timeline, it was actually when Joshua and Betsy became more than friends when they started officially courting, as they used to call it back in the day. These days, we just call it going out, but when they officially started courting is when these hauntings on the family farm really started. And after their engagement between Betsy and Joshua was announced, the entity demanded that she not marry him. And after Betsy called it off, guess who started showing up on the regular at the house to comfort Betsy and be her shoulder to cry on? That's right, Richard Powell. Three years later, Betsy married Richard and the hauntings pretty much went away. So while we don't have any confirmations that he was behind it all, I did run into some claims that he knew ventriloquism, so some people think he could have been outside the cabin every night like a creepy stalker and pretended to be Kate's voice. Others claim that Powell was into the occult and he did rituals to orchestrate the hauntings to get back at John, who had refused Powell's offer to marry his young daughter when he asked him earlier. And then he made sure that Betsy would not marry the man she loved. But all of this is hearsay and rumors from oral storytelling. So we don't really know what the situation was behind all of this. And again, we run into the same problems. If it was just Powell doing his ventriloquism, then how come people were hearing it when everyone definitely knew that he was all the way in town teaching? Because remember, hundreds of people showed up to this property to witness this stuff and were claiming to see all these weird things like creatures and stuff. So... Either he was into the occult and he conjured all these things, he was a ventriloquist and made sure that he was just faking the whole thing, 
but those kind of start falling apart the more you look at the story anyway. And also, I'm not trying to say that Pal was a bad person at all because this is all rumor and we don't even know if maybe he was into her or not. That could have just been a fake rumor going around town. And, you know, life was different back then, so I'm not trying to say that Pal was a bad guy because I just, we don't know. It's all oral history. The fourth theory has two parts. Number one, if people were seeing anything at all, it was all chalked up to mass hysteria from a small incident that happened in the farm and the story grew and people came to the farm expecting to see something and then mass hysteria took over the big group and they were seeing things that weren't actually happening or someone was faking things to make the crowd think things were happening. Either one of those work. And then the second part of this theory was that what originally happened at the farm was not as crazy as what we know today. What they mean is there could have been something at the farm and it might not have been as crazy as we know it today because the original story might have been smaller, but then with every retelling, it got bigger and bigger and snowballed into this massive story over 200 years. And I already ran into that during my research. The original website for the Bell Witch Cave right now, I'll put a link to it down below in the show notes. They had the, what they think is the original story on their website. And then I went and checked out other articles and those articles all had things that weren't from the original story, but they were added on uh, to make it seem even more fantastical than the original story that is on the website. So I'm already seeing that happen. So who knows what this story will be in 100 years from now. Okay, now that we got the more skeptical point of view, besides Kate being a witch out of the way, let's talk about the creepy paranormal theories of this case. One of the main theories is that the Bell's property was on a Native American burial ground. Many people like to use this as an explanation as to why a property is haunted, so it is no surprise that this is one of them for the Bell Witch. I could not find if there was any proof that there is a burial ground on the property, but some locals do believe that there are Native Americans buried in the earth above the entrance to the cave on the Bell's property. Apparently, after the Bells moved onto the property, one of the young sons, Drewy Bell, and his friend were out exploring near the cave, and they found a skull in the wet ground. The boys dug it up and brought it home. According to this story, a tooth fell into the crack of the floorboards of the Bell's cabin, and it was shortly after that that the haunting started. I have to admit that some of the things that happened on this property, like the weird animals that have strange bodies and not matching heads, and other strange apparitions, including the poltergeist activity, do sound a little skinwalker-ish to me. I didn't find that specifically anywhere online, but that was my takeaway from this story when I heard it a long time ago. Not everything matches a skinwalker that happened on the Bell's property, but there elements here that just make me think that sounds like a skinwalker, not really like a ghost or a witch. And I will be doing an episode on Skinwalker Ranch someday. Not now, but maybe in 2022 after January, I will be doing it eventually. It's going to take a lot of extra research. The last and final theory to all of this is just call it like it is. The Bells had a straight up poltergeist that got an energy zap from Betsy Bell when she hit puberty. People who do believe in poltergeists think that teenage angst draws out dark energy known as poltergeists. These dark entities are often already living dormant on the property or in the house, and it is just waiting for some fresh energy to feed off of to get powerful enough to wreak havoc on the family within. Some paranormal researchers think that poltergeists are demonic, while others feel like a poltergeist is a spirit that is not at rest, and once it gets enough energy, it will go crazy. These entities often start small, with banging, tapping, and knocking, just like the family heard, and then building to moving objects, strange creatures and apparitions being seen, physical attacks, and it can go further from there. 
often driving a family insane, and in the case of the Bells, possibly killing John in a fit of rage and messing up the happy couple just because it could. It is still a mystery why the Bell Witch called herself Kate, but the hauntings on the farm persist to this day. Many people have told this classic ghost story, but in the state of Tennessee, it is a big part of the state's lore. This is one of those stories that has teenagers in the area daring each other to sneak onto the property at night to see if they can see the witch for themselves. While the Bell Witch Cave still has haunting activity, the Bell Witch has also replaced old legend rituals like Bloody Mary. Many people in the area have replaced the Bloody Mary incantation with the Bell Witch. I found three different ones, and the first one is you go into the bathroom and say Kate Bats into the mirror three times and she will appear in the mirror behind you. Another version of this is to say I don't believe in the Bell Witch three times into the mirror and she will appear and try to either claw your eyes out or just give you a good slap. The third one was to light a candle go into the bathroom alone and say, I don't believe in the Bell Witch seven times and she will appear, blow out the candle, and then proceed to attack you. These are all versions of the Bloody Mary story, but instead of saying Bloody Mary, you say the Bell Witch. For the rest of this, we're going back to the Bell's farm. There are a lot of creepy claims from this property. Some people who have tried to enter the property have claimed that their feet will suddenly not be allowed to move and they can't enter the property, just like what happened to Jackson's wagon. According to legend, they can only move if they try try to walk away from the property or they will have to say that they believe in the Bell Witch and they will be allowed to walk onto the property. The Bell's original cabin is no more, but there is a plaque on the ground marking the spot. The Bell's cemetery is also located on the property. From what I could find, nothing spooky seems to happen at the old location of the Bell family cabin or the graveyard. The place most people now have paranormal experiences is inside the cave. Many people think that the entity lives in the cave and many strange things happen here. If you ever go to the cave, don't pick up a rock and take it with you. According to legend, if you take anything from the cave, even a rock, bad luck will follow you. One man claimed that within three days of taking a rock, he lost his home, his job, and his wife left him. The Bell Witch Museum has had people returning rocks from all over the world. The rocks come with an apology letter and stories explaining of all the bad luck that has happened to them ever since they took the rock from the cave. After receiving these letters, the workers put the rock back inside. Inside the cave, electronics often malfunction. Phones that were fully charged will suddenly die along with other equipment suddenly experiencing battery drain. Orbs, strange light anomalies, and apparitions will show up in pictures when taken inside the cave. According to legend, someone once challenged the witch inside the cave. A young woman said that she didn't believe anything on the tour, and then the tour group heard a loud smack. The group turned to look at where the sound had come from to find the girl laying on the ground with a red handprint on her face. She then told the group that she had been smacked in the face by an unseen force. With all these paranormal stories coming out of the cave, of course the Ghost Adventures team went to check out the cave, and they had all kinds of strange things happen, including some creepy and clear EVPs of a woman's voice. Rocks also like to be thrown by unseen hands. Many people have reported this happening while they are touring the cave. Some people have become dizzy and disoriented, while others feel an overwhelming sense of dread and sadness, and some have begun crying on the spot. Apparitions and shadow figures have been seen, as well as disembodied voices, whispers, and maniacal laughing. Some believe that the cave is a portal, while others think that the cave is truly home to the Bell Witch, and she is hiding in the cave waiting for the next victim to curse.
that you guys all enjoyed this spooky tale of the Bell Witch. I had so much fun making this episode, but sadly it was a little shorter than I wanted it to be. What happened was I went into this and I thought, well, I'll just tell the story. And then after I told the story, there's really not that much hauntings going on on the property as of right now. I don't know if maybe the Bell Witch flew the coop truly and decided to leave or if she really is inside the cave because the only place I could find that had any kind of hauntings was the cave itself. And at the end of the day, there just really wasn't that much going on that I could find online. You guys might know other stories, but I just had to do all this online and all the stories were kind of just kept being retold over and over again in various articles, but I still didn't mind because the Bell Witch Cave is a famous classic ghost story. So I hope that you guys enjoyed just the classic retelling of the story. I can't believe that this is the end of my four-part Halloween series. I hope that you guys enjoyed all the spooky locations I got to cover this season. I'm looking forward to after Halloween. I've got a lot of new things coming. After this episode, I will start digging into my suggestions list. Over the last two months, it's gotten really long, but I had to put some of them off because I was doing all my research and getting everything ready for my four-part Halloween show. So now that that's over, I'm going to start concentrating on my suggestions list. If you have suggested a location and you haven't heard me say it yet, it's coming, I promise. I have my list in my little notebook ready to go. So so I'm going to be starting that um, starting after Halloween. So in a couple weeks, I'll come out with a first of my long list of suggestions. If you're interested in my Patreon page, I have a link to that down below, along with all of my social media handles. I have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Historically Haunted. If you'd like to look them up on your own, that's fine, or I have links to all of those down below. Thank you guys again so much for joining me today for this very special Halloween episode. I hope that you guys all have a safe and fun Halloween this year. If you have joined my Historically Haunted group page on Facebook this year, I'd love to see your costume, so please make sure you post photos of your costumes on there if you're comfortable with that so that way we can all see each other's great costumes for Halloween. I also would love to see your decorations whether they're inside or outside and let me know what you're doing for Halloween this year. Are you handing out candy or do you like to just stay in and watch scary movies? My neighborhood doesn't have any kids so I never get to hand out candy so this year I'm just staying in carving pumpkins and I'm going to be watching classics like Hocus Pocus, Return to Halloween Town and movies like that. I'm not really a scary movie person just because I'm not scared of them. I actually find some of them boring and a lot of people look at me funny when I say that but they just don't keep me engaged. I like more of the kooky, silly, funny type of Halloween movies. That's my jam. But whatever your thing is, I hope that you enjoy and you have fun and I cannot wait to see you guys back here real soon on another episode of Historically Haunted. Bye everyone and have a happy Halloween.